Welcome to Podcasting Social Work. Podcasting Social Work is a platform for educators, learners, social workers, and activists to share your stories, knowledge, and skills to empower communities and transform lives. My name is Dr. Hassan Mahbub. I'm a professor at Centennial College, Ontario, and a social worker. Today, we are going to have conversation on social return on engagement. In addition, we will discuss on self-care during coronavirus pandemic, COVID-19. Today, we have invited two amazing social workers from Alberta, Amelia Larson and Victoria McDonaldo. How are you, Amelia and Victoria? Please tell us about your education and experience. Sure. So my name is Amelia Larson. I'm currently the clinical team lead at Aspen Family Community and Network Society in Calgary, Alberta. I have a master's of social work. I spent a large part of my career um, working in the social work context in many countries. And now I support our entire agency from a clinical perspective. Wonderful. Victoria, what about yourself? Uh, Victoria Maldonado. Um, I have a master's in social work. Uh, I have been working with Aspen uh, in particular for over 10 years now. A lot of my experience has been in the housing and homelessness sector. Um, But my role now is that I am our uh, training and evaluation lead. So I support the agency with Uh, arranging and identifying important trainings, as well as supporting the organization with um, really examining kind of outcomes, um, best practices, uh, promising practices. uh, And I work closely with Amelia in that area, uh, along with a couple of other members of our team um, to support improving organizational practice. Wonderful. And I'm very delighted to connect with the two amazing social workers from Alberta. And um, I can relate uh, some of my experience that uh, I have been working in this field over 20 years. And I'm very passionate about especially community engagement uh, and community development. And today I'm very delighted to have this conversation with you. So uh, before uh, we are starting about this uh, discussion, I would like to know a little bit about your agency Aspen. Sure. So Aspen's a social service agency that's been serving Calgary since 1984. We have about 20 programs uh, ranging from group and foster care, housing and parenting support for vulnerable families to peer community development programs. We work with youth, families, individuals and communities. So because we have such a scope of people that we serve. Um, When we think about engagement, we have a lot of context to draw on and a wide variety of practitioner experience to draw on that really supported our social return on engagement project. Wonderful. So um, I would like to start our conversation on community engagement. Let me give an overview on community engagement. Community engagement is a method to improve communities by identifying and addressing local ideas, concerns, and opportunities. Community engagement includes things like the involvement of the public in process that affect them 
and their community. How do you think this definition is different or similar with your project social return on engagement? I think that um, in a lot of ways it is quite similar. Um, one of the major challenges of the social return on engagement project was to try to define engagement. It's something where it's a word that a lot of people use. A lot of people uh, have kind of an idea in their mind of what it means to them. Uh, we did explore some literature around engagement, but ultimately we wanted to define it really locally to our organization. Um, so what we ended up doing was really examining with our staff uh, what they felt engagement looks and feels like, uh, how do they do it, how do they work on it, those kinds of pieces. So from Aspen's perspective, um, we work with engagement with both individuals and communities and families uh, and larger kind of with our partners. It's, you know, we, we look at engagement really broadly in that way. So from our perspective, engagement is a really trusting and collaborative relationship that's based on a mutual appreciation of one another's interests. Beyond that, it has an element of, that is a little bit more ineffable, a little bit harder to touch. And we see engagement as being that spark that really enables action and change. Um, so those are some of the things that we sort of learned and engaged with with our project. Uh, wonderful definition and wonderful um, way you have shared about uh... Uh, community engagement and engagement. Uh, how do you like to define uh, the term social return? Just for our audience, for better understanding, uh, how would you like to connect these two things together? Absolutely. So when we in social work think of engagement, we know that it is an incredible soft skill that we can use to form the basis of any of our work with people. Um, we know that engagement can pay dividends and some of those dividends can be things that we can tangibly see in terms of program outcomes or um, individuals or family success quote unquote in meeting outcomes and programs but Wonderful. we also know that there's um, a huge fundamental belief in the power of connection relationship belonging or community and using those things as a healing and protective as healing and protective factors. So we knew, you know, engagement is a really powerful thing, but it's also a hard story to tell. How do we tell funders about the impact of engagement? So this project really started with looking at how can we define engagement and the benefits of engagement in a way funders um, or stakeholders might understand beyond a narrative example. And the project really evolved, um, recognizing that those are really hard things to do. And we sort of ended up more of a reflective practice and organizational um, culture framework than we had initially anticipated. Wonderful. Um, I can see one interesting uh, thing uh, that social return on engagement trademark. Can you please explain a little bit about why it is a trademark? Is it from Epson or something else? So this concept was trademarked at sort of the inception of the project. And the purpose of that was to really um, keep the phrase grounded in the Aspen context and grounded in the culture of our agency. Um, 
We also really wanted to use it as a tool that we could share with others um, in, in terms of how it unfolded and how it developed. Wonderful. So now I would like to know a little bit more about uh, your project, Social Return on Engagement, uh, especially what are the values and principles and objectives you have identified or you have learned uh, while working with your communities and individual? Yeah, so our project um, really looked at defining engagement. We talked a little bit about what that looks like. We also gathered a lot of stories about kind of what engagement looks like, how it happens, the kinds of behaviors that people engage in to try to make engagement happen. Uh, and one of the biggest learnings that we really came out of that is that there is no formula. There's no recipe that we can use um, with every community or with every individual or with every family that is um, likely to kind of have the same engaging impact that we are looking to have. It's really an adaptive process. So for that reason, our framework ended up being structured as uh, three major principles of engagement. Um, so those are principles that, you know, will be applied differently in, in each situation, but that are going to remain pretty constant. And four objectives, so four um, benchmarks, things that we're expecting to see and hoping to achieve when we engage with someone or engage with a community. Um, and within that, what also came up over and over again is that engagement is highly culturally based. Uh, and that's microcultures and macrocultures, it all kind of plays into that process. Engagement is all about bridging culture. So we decided to kind of put the project itself uh, and put the framework itself under an anti-oppressive lens and try to make that explicit from the outset. So in our framework document, we really try to outline what that means um, because we really understand that although all of these principles and objectives kind of incorporate culture naturally, um, they're really swimming in kind of a cultural um, piece around that idea of, of bridging and making a connection between two different perspectives. Uh, but if we don't name that in some active way, the likelihood is that we will end up erasing it. So that's why it's important to us to really kind of highlight that. Wonderful. Um, can you please outline for our audience and for myself as well, the three key principles and the four objectives, and also you uh, related this project uh, social uh, return on engagement project with anti-oppressive framework. So can you please also discuss on that? Little more. I know you have discussed little more. Yeah. So I mean, when we're looking at the principles, um, our first principle that we have outlined is that people define who they are. Programs and services do not. Great. And separating this from, from seeing people as demographic information to see whether they fit a program mandate or not. We've recognized that programs don't fix people, people fix people. And we need to keep that as a central focus of the work that we do. Um, this really helps us to understand individuals as individuals and as unique people with unique needs who may, you know, fit a program mandate. Maybe there's a family leaving homelessness, so they fit that program mandate. But beyond that, we know very little about who people are and we need to center them as the experts in their own lives to learn what their needs are beyond finding a home, for example. 
So the second principle is that collaborative working relationships are key. Um, we're not going in as experts fixing problems. We really need to sit down with people, understand where they're at and understand what the next steps on their journey are, listening and supporting them to take those steps that they've self-identified. I have goals when I'm working with someone directly in terms of meeting program outcomes and, and service deliverables. But what are these, what is this individual's goals as well? And something we found is that when we truly sit down and when we truly listen to individual goals that may or may not directly fit in with the program mandate, there can be really vast beneficial implications of that. Um, and we can provide some further examples later on, but there's a lot of unexpected outcomes that come with working collaboratively with someone that will support a program mandate, but will also support them in being sustainable in their future. Great. So the third principle is that practitioner self-awareness is a guiding light. And this is super, super key. When we're talking about reflective and reflexive practice, this is what is essential in the work that we do. Recognizing um, some of our inherent biases, recognizing what we know, what we don't know, um, and being curious and open to learning and feedback from the people we're supporting. Uh, our agency uses feedback-informed treatment as a way to have open and honest dialogues with the people we're supporting around how we can improve service delivery and how we can truly meet people's needs better. And knowing that we don't know everything and being open to learning is essential in, in moving relationships forward and essential in having really strong and true engagement with the people we're supporting. Wonderful. Um, you also mentioned that uh, some of the objectives, uh, there are four objectives. Mm -hmm. Uh, can you summarize in brief for our audience the key um, objectives that you have defined? Sure. So we have um, the first objective is to see the whole person or community, which really ties closely in with that first principle uh, of people defining who they are. So this is something that can be a real challenge because we, we come to that with so many of our own sort of preconceptions. Uh, the second principle really leads from the first. So when we see the whole person or the whole community, we understand more about their point of view. And then we really have a much better sense of what it's going to take to build trust with them and what they are going to find trustworthy and meaningful. Once we've really established trust, they are likely to share even more uh, about what really matters to them and what might really be the fuel for our working relationship. And through that process, we can really appreciate who they are uh, or what that community brings to the table. Uh, and from that genuine place, we have that opportunity to form some real connections and really generate uh, a good working relationship. And from there, that's when where there's sort of a, 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 a turn that happens at that point because we have had the opportunity to see ourselves through the eyes of the community or the person, and they are having the opportunity to see themselves through our eyes. And that really opens up this space for new possibilities about the work that can happen. 
so our fourth objective is to transform through individual and community energy. And that's where we really see the action steps start to happen. And we really start to see the energy infusing the work. And that's what we see as being the primary goal of engagement. Wonderful. And I know it would, it would be difficult in this short time, but I would be uh, very happy to know one of the stories uh, relating with these principles and objectives and uh, if you just connect uh, with a particular group or individual and how you have an, engaged that personal community in your program and transformed his or her or their lives. Uh, is it possible to give an example? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is an example that comes from our community development team. So Aspen is fortunate to be able to do some pure community development work. Uh, community development often has a lot of agendas attached to it. Community development dollars are attached to communities where, you know, we have identified that uh, the system has identified that there are potential needs there. So we're already starting from a kind of a challenging um, place of assumption uh, where we have impressions already about what that community needs or what we think it needs. So we have a community developer who has been working in his community for many years. Um, he was working with uh, city social workers and with social workers from other organizations to do some basic door knocking. Door knocking, usually we go out with surveys, we ask lots of questions, uh, we have lots of information that we want to know because we're trying to get a sense of what's going on in the community. But our worker asked if he could just go out and um, not ask questions. He asked if we could kind of put the clipboards away, go out in um, pairs of just uh, a man and a woman to help kind of build some safety and trust uh, and just go out and... Um, get to know people. Um, okay. So that was the start. So starting with that piece of exploring the whole person, uh, really putting our agenda aside and making space for the community's interests. There was a lot of hostility that came out around that because the community was experiencing a huge amount of safety issues and safety concerns. So they managed to have 12 really good conversations um, so they were much under target for how many houses they had planned to hit that day, but they had had really good engagement with the folks who were there. And out of that came a group of six residents who were really interested in starting up some kind of community group about safety. So we kept working on that trust building piece. Uh, our worker ad let the other organizations know that he was going to let the residents invite any other agencies in. Um, he worked really hard Wonderful. at building trust within the group. So because their interests were around safety, he was transparent with kind of what his uh, mandates and things like that were. So he was able to kind of share some potential group guidelines, help them develop some guidelines um, so that they could build that trust within the group for one another. And they ended up deciding that they did want to continue meeting they did invite some of those other organizations. Um, the worker really sort of identified little pieces within the group to help build capacity in small ways. So there was a group member who said, hey, you know what, listen, I'm probably not going to talk at all today. Like, I'm really shy. I'm really nervous. You know, I'm just going to sit, sit, sit aside on this one. And he let her know that's great. Like you're already engaging in some great leadership work by being here. Uh, and I really appreciate your contribution. So 
making those little like real connections um and that person not only contributed but they actually gave some um feedback to one of the other organizations that attended that second meeting so really participating uh at the end of the meeting residents were staying 45 minutes late just to chat and talk with one another Uh, they had really built a lot of kind of internal momentum to keep working and keep kind of putting safety at the forefront and start to kind of coalesce around some ideas of what they wanted to do so just by starting at that really base level uh, letting residents decide what they needed and what they saw Uh, as the primary issues and not imposing that external view, they were able to really take off uh, and get some, some momentum on their initiative. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm very happy to know about your work. Uh, In these connections, uh, I have learned about uh, from your story that you are doing direct outreach and you are doing lots of observation and building trust and you work from there. What are the other tools you use uh, to engage your community in your programs and uh, with your organization? Organization. So across our organization, we have a number of frameworks that um, certain programs adhere to. Um, one of them is the sustainable livelihoods. Um, we have asset-based community development, um, feedback-informed treatment. Our organization is a... Tr- moving towards being a trauma-informed organization. So trauma-informed care is a huge part of the work that we do. And of late, we've really been incorporating uh, the Circle of Courage, which is based on the medicine wheel uh, for our youth programs. Wonderful to know. Okay, and um, in terms of some of the tools, like how are you using social, are you using social media are you using other approaches, uh, innovative approaches uh, in your program to engage community? Like during mm, this mm-hmm, kind of pandemic, right. how are you working with communities during this uh, crisis time? So Aspen's been uh, very fortunate that a couple of years ago, we embarked on an um, advancing technology project where uh, almost every frontline worker in the agency was outfitted with a tablet that uh, they could use to do paperless intakes, um, documentation. So when we got word that our office was closed, which was sort of um, not to be super expected by a lot of our staff, we were already in a really great position that staff had the technology to work from home um, to keep themselves safe. And through that, our staff have really been engaging with clients through a number of platforms as we aren't able to meet face-to-face. So FaceTime has been big, Skype for Business, Zoom, um, Microsoft Teams. We've had a number of of, uh, technology software programs that we've been able to rely on. Yeah, some of our community programs have uh, reached out and produced videos. Uh, So for example, Uh, We have a program that works on early childhood development, uh, and they have put together some videos on kind of um, playing and supporting early childhood development while you're kind of stuck and isolated in the household. Uh, Some of our youth programs are putting some of their groups online. So 
Uh, I believe they have a yoga group that they would normally do with their youth and they're transitioning those pieces online. So in addition to the one-on-one work, uh, we're really working on continuing the community engagement and our social media team uh, has been working over time to make sure that we're getting resources out to the community to make sure that we're letting folks know that our doors are still open uh, and the different services that we can connect with people about. Wonderful. I remember uh, when I was working with ActionAid International uh, in Bangladesh, I was um, working with youth, especially youth group to develop a community journalist group. I was encouraging them uh, from our organization. We're uh, encouraging them to write their own stories. And not only that uh, stories were used for our organizational purposes, but we encouraged them to publish locally and uh, publish uh, and share through social media platform, have conversation, uh, create a blog hmm. post. So I feel that uh, that was very effective. And uh, youth, uh, some of the youths now, they are now adults and they are now doing very well. And they are, most of them are engaged in uh, nonprofit social work practices. I'm so happy to see all these kind of uh, uh, transforming stories uh, from my uh, client group or from my communities. Uh, wonderful to have this chat. Uh, Victoria, you want to add something? Oh, I was just going to uh, comment on uh, the social return on engagement piece during COVID and something that we've really learned that emerged from our inability to meet with clients face to face. And that was the idea of transactional relationships versus transformational relationships. So, you know, some some of our staff have had a hard time engaging with certain clients who they felt like they might have engaged with uh, very well when they were able to meet face to face. And we really used the SROE reflective practice framework as a way to sit down and say, okay, so what was this relationship based on? Was it a transactional relationship? Meaning was the client directly getting things from you? Were you uh, a vehicle to get something from like a, a ride from point A to point B or a coffee every once in a while versus was the relationship based on a mutual collaborative goal where we connected to working towards something together. So this time has been really um, a wonderful time for us to, to reflect on relationships and what relationships we're based on now that we've taken away the face-to-face element. final segment is now focusing on especially for the social workers and social service workers or community development workers, especially during this time of pandemic COVID-19. What are the steps they should take for mm-hmm. self-care? And this is a huge, um, a huge piece, especially that now that we at our agency is, are well into week four of working from home. There's a lot of disconnection that comes with uh, not being physically present around people. So there are a few things that um, we've sort of outlined that are going to be helpful for maintaining a sense of routine and normalcy in your life. And the first one is uh, knowledge is really powerful, but also knowing when to reduce the quote unquote noise. So having access to information is a gift. When we have access to too much information, we can become overloaded. And we need to be really aware that especially given everything that's going on, our systems are very sensitive. So only getting enough information so that you feel informed, but you're not feeling like you're going down rabbit holes of information. 
That's and a great point. Uh, leading into that really well is, is let's be really clear that we are separating fact versus fiction. There is so much information out there and some of it is fact and some of it is myth or opinion. So when you're looking for information, be really clear to stick to reliable sources, um, such as Public Health of Canada or the Government of Canada. And then um, there's a page called the Government Information on COVID-19. These sources are based on fact and science, and we know um, they're being updated regularly with the information that is true. Another piece is we need to hope for the best, because hope is an incredible thing that keeps us all motivated and moving forward. But let's also plan for the worst. So really sit down and take some time to think about what are the fears that are most likely to occur for you? Um, and, and what can you do with that fear-based energy? And one way to sort of mitigate that is really think about what you have control over. You have control over your situation at home, your, your personal hygiene, um, you can meal plan, but also be clear about what you don't have control over and try to focus on the things that you do have control over. So that might be, you know, meal planning at home or sanitizing your home, um, planning activities for you and your family. Uh, recognizing that uh, people's routine has changed drastically and the sense of normalcy has been lost for a lot of Absolutely. people. This is a really, really important time to engage in self-care. And when I mean self-care, I'm really looking at um, the way our body systems start to accumulate stress and how we start feeding off of the energy of others and vice versa. And, you know, there's lots of research out there that shows emotions are really contagious. So we need to think about how we're showing up for, for ourselves and for the people around us and be in tune with our stress response systems and sort of reset them at least twice a day. And when I say reset, it's, it's activities that you engage in that give you energy and make you feel safe and secure. And that could be really different for, for everyone. And when we're looking at a holistic approach, we're thinking of the physical, mental, social, emotional, or spiritual activities that we do. And, you know, um, using grounding techniques to bring ourselves back to the present, uh, putting our feet on solid ground, uh, becoming really in tune with our senses. There's a quick and easy one called um, the sense activity where you see five things. You think of five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can feel, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. Um, there's a lot of different other suggestions for uh, grounding and mindfulness, and I'll direct people to the Aspen website, and it's www.aspenfamily.org. And under our blog section, there's um, this list that I'm talking about now of, of six uh, ways to maintain normalcy. And if people are looking for the SROE document, it's also at the Aspen website under the About Us section in the Publications tab. So uh, there are two more things to do to, uh, to self-care and, and be in tune with ourselves during this time of crisis. The fifth one is connect. Connect with other people, don't completely isolate. And as we talked about in the SROE segment, it's really thinking about 
how can we maintain connection even from a distance? What are creative ways we can we can be connected? Absolutely. And is that playing face? Is that playing board games over FaceTime with family members across the country, or you know, having a chat with our neighbor down the street on Zoom? Uh, just using our resources and recognizing that if you feel like you need other support, um, potentially accessing your employee and family assistance program, or signing up for online or remote counseling and mental health supports. There's lots of options out there, especially these days. And the sixth thing that I think is really important is really maintaining a routine and status quo. And that's keeping your work um, sleep schedule the same. Go to bed at a regular time, wake up at a regular time, eat your meals at a regular time, eat healthy, brush your teeth, wash your face, go outside and get exercise schedule your day in a routine, which will help um, regulate your central nervous system and make your body feel safe and secure. Absolutely. Wonderful. And actually, I have shared your uh, blog post with my uh, followers uh, in LinkedIn, and I have over 13,000 uh, followers. And now uh, many of them have access to your blog post on uh, self-care during COVID. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your wonderful blog, blog post on self-care during COVID. Um, in terms of our um, COVID um, response, uh, the way we can see that our prime minister, our, our premiers, our uh, municipal leaders, all are taking lots of uh, initiatives. Our public health doing an amazing job. Our organizations are um, doing a wonderful job. Um, so we are very grateful to our leaders and service providers, our health workers, our foster responders. And as a college, um, we are doing a lot of work uh, to prepare ourselves to support our uh, students because this is a very stressful Absolutely. time for all of us, for our students. Absolutely. For our students, this is more um, stressful because they are studying, they are managing their life, their own stress, so many things. And uh, we are very grateful to our college leadership, especially to our chair. Uh, I, we can see that we are now more connected uh, with our team to support our student community, to support each other. And it's a funny thing that I have connected with, uh, with my so many ex-colleagues uh, through uh, social media platforms uh, mm. and share our experiences, mm. sh share our cooking, re cooking recipes as a part of a stress management and uh, so much going on. And um, it's so important to uh, focus on ourselves as well as on our community uh, with the community we work with. Um, so uh, it's a very uh, important conversation we had today. I'm very grateful uh, um, Amelia and Victoria that you have uh, taken your time you have participated in this conversation and uh, we are going to share this podcast with our audience across the globe uh, and of course with our centennial community and um, I'm very grateful to see the amount of work uh, Aspen you are doing in uh, Calgary and I hope that perhaps our student groups will be visiting uh, your organizations at your suitable time when the emergency situation will be over. You may accept our student as a placement student. And I am um, also hoping to visit with our students in the near future when everything will be fine. At the same time, I would like to invite you uh, to our class to have a guest lecture on this amazing 
uh, topic uh, uh, social return on engagement which is so important uh, for our social work practice especially from anti-oppressive mm-hmm. social we would love that practice. that would be so amazing anything from you, yeah anything absolutely so anything from I think side, um, the there's something that I heard the other day that's really important to share and, and think about as you know um, as social workers and as people who support other people there is somebody who said you know during this time of, of crisis we're all in the same boat and really maybe the phrase is more we're all on the same river but we're all in different boats because we don't know the resources other people have and we don't necessarily have the same life situation and you know capacity there are so many things that go into um, how people respond during this time and just with that in mind having grace for ourselves when we're having rough rough days and our and the people we support and the people we don't even know um, are making decisions based on the information they have and they're doing the best they can in the moment with the boat that they have. Some of us might be in yachts and others might be in canoes going down this crazy COVID river. So I think just keeping that in mind is really important. Absolutely. And as anti-oppressive social worker, that um, what I'm trying to do, I'm looking at the government policies mm-hmm. and announcement and uh, trying to identify those things and to share with our student community uh, because it's important to learn and also to review those uh, policies, uh, whether it is uh, actually serving the most marginalized. So Victoria, no, I, you want I to think say something, I know. Those are both such incredibly important points. And one of the things that I want to add is um, to reach out at this time for what you need. Um, I think for all of us, the importance of our natural supports and our networks and the people that we connect with is becoming incredibly clear to us. And I know that students are sometimes uh, isolated on campus. Uh, Those of us who are fortunate to be able to work remotely are in situations where we don't have our traditional touch points and the things that traditionally get us through a day and we may feel reluctant to take advantage of those things or to ask for them because they're not part of our normal job description, but we need to ask for what, for what will get us through and to be willing to rely on one another. So to offer what we can to those around us and to ask for what we need from those around us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Emilia, any No, any I just last thank you so me? much for the opportunity to talk about about this and encourage everyone who is interested to head to our website and, and use the framework. Um, and if you have any feedback, please, please get Thanks. in touch. We love to hear people's opinions and feedback about the work that we're doing. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And most will absolutely most welcome to our college, Centennial College, Ontario's first college. And uh, it will be great to have you there. And thank you everyone for listening to this podcast and uh, we appreciate your time and thank you Amelia and Victoria thank you so much for your time bye